gonna plop right down here beside you and have a two-hour discussion about everything southern hope you don't mind i am john rawl and this is the y'all show where we do cover everything that goes on in the south monday through friday and even when we're not at our guard position and standing by for all y'all go to our website y'all.com it is open 24 7 365 and a half and also available for you of course on the weekend when we're not putting out new y'all episodes we have plenty of great material coming your way courtesy of the ultimate guide to the south y'all.com coming up on today's y'all show more coronavirus information as the death toll here in this country continues to grow and i think we're now past three thousand deaths scary situation happening across the land and right here in the south especially we are very much on edge with what's going on and we'll have some alarming numbers and other information to pass along here as we go through our headlines across the southeast we also have in addition to headlines about coronavirus to tell you about on today's y'all show we have something absurd to pass along and that's exactly what we'll do as we have headlines not just the good stuff but the bad stuff as well and we've got at least a good feel-good story for you and that comes to us from the commonwealth of virginia all of that as we continue with a look of what's going on around the country in this y'all show wednesday edition later this hour jonathan lifite will be dropping by jonathan has the acc spotlight ready to go for you jonathan with the website cbs sports digital and 24 7 sports and we have some big news from the ncaa about what they're going to do in terms of eligibility for all the collegiate athletes we'll share that information and some other fun stuff including in that fun stuff is something that i think you'll enjoy especially if you're an acc fan cbs sports has come out with the breaking down the greatest single season from each acc college football team chip patterson at cbssports.com has penned this article and i'm going to walk through this with jonathan lifeite and see if he agrees with mr patterson about the greatest single season for each of the acc teams some of them have to go back to the days before world war ii for their greatest single season so you know it's been quite a time quite some time since they've been very good in college football some of them uh clemson that would be has they don't have to go very far back at all to have the best season they've ever had and clemson of course has had plenty of great seasons we also have a graduate transfer from the big 12 headed to virginia tech that will pass along that information as part of our acc spotlight and that comes your way later this hour when we flip the script to page two an hour two of today's y'all show we've got hashtag hullabaloo coming your way we're going to be talking about dollars no not just the monetary thing that you have to have to survive with but the actual printed money we're going to go back to the 1850s and i found a tweet about a actual note coming from a bank in paris tennessee the central bank of tennessee which is long gone but I'm going to let you know a little bit about the history of our printed currency and also some obscure currency that at one time was printed here in this country. And you're not going to believe some of the denominations 
that were printed at one point in time so we'll have all that as part of our money talk of hashtag hullabaloo that and more fun stuff that we'll pass along to get the second hour of this show going and then before the second hour is up before we get out of here today hey if you thought talking about money was fun how about talking with precious harris and she's going to be on and although it won't be quite so fun today to talk to precious it's a bittersweet appearance by precious harris because we have to discuss the passage of joe diffie as the country music star of the 1990s passed away sunday at the age of 61 from covid 19 and i think still the biggest celebrity that's passed away because of the coronavirus and it happened right here in the south and it happened right in the country music business and a a touching thing that happened in joe's current hometown of nolansville which is just to the south of nashville technically mostly in williamson county and they did an incredible thing on monday that i'll share with you all that as precious harris drops by with the nashville music line she'll also talk about the passage on saturday of grand Ole opry veteran member jan howard she passed away at the age of 91 a life well lived by this missouri native and a longtime opry member and precious has info on that and everything else going on coronavirus and more in music city all that with our nashville music line report with precious in number two hour 803-816-1170 is how you can catch us here on the y'all show we welcome your feedback our website again is y'all.com y'all the ultimate guide to the south and don't forget on facebook to actually follow us at y'all.com as well as follow the new facebook page y'all show at y'all show on facebook and if you'll follow it you'll get all of our video interviews that we're putting up and if you follow y'all magazine which is i know it's y'all.com on the facebook group you'll see the big red and white y'all logo if you follow that you'll get all the y'all episodes right to your facebook feed as well as the other fun stories and informative stories we have up at y'all.com let's look at the headlines and coronavirus definitely still in the headlines as we said the death toll just continues to climb more than three thousand here in this country and just so many cases it's hard to keep up and all the wild things going on we'll have more as we go through and some great things because of coronavirus happening here in the south that we can pass along but one thing that someone popped up as a question to us here on the all show is how you can tell the difference between coronavirus and some of these other things we have going on like the flu the common flu that's going on right now as well as the common cold and some people have hay fever problems so in our best way to kind of walk through this the symptoms for COVID 19 versus the flu the fo- the com- common flu and allergies your COVID 19 and i just want to repeat this some of you have already heard this before but it's always worth repeating because we're in the springtime now we've got pollen going on in a lot of the south big time and you kind of need to know before you start being alarmed and worried that oh my god the worst is here i've got coronavirus maybe you've just got the flu maybe you've just got a really nasty cold maybe you got hay fever so covid-19's primary symptoms you have a dry cough fever that fever often goes up to 103 degrees and a lot of people a big one here a shortness of breath and that's the scary part those are primary symptoms of coronavirus and also fatigue now less frequent symptoms of coronavirus some people get diarrhea diarrhea they get aches and pains nasal congestion runny nose 
and sore throat. But those primary symptoms, again, four of them, a dry cough, fever, shortness of breath, and fatigue. Now, how does that stack up against the common seasonal flu that's going on, which may end up killing more people this year than coronavirus in this country? Maybe not throughout the world, but likely so. We know lots of people, thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people die of the common flu each year. The flu's primary symptoms going on this year, fever and feeling feverish and having chills. And that is a major symptom of the flu that you might have. A cough, not a dry cough, but a cough, a nasty cough is a sign of a seasonal flu. You also have muscle and body aches, a headache and fatigue. Those are your primary symptoms. So what's the difference between the flu and COVID-19? I would say the biggest difference is the cough, because even with COVID-19, you're likely to get some kind of fever and that fever is going to spike to 102 to 103 in most cases. So the cough, is it a dry cough or is it a typical cough where you're coughing your tail off? If you're coughing your tail off and you're coughing up phlegm and stuff, you might have the flu. And that's a good thing. That is a very good thing. Now, what's the difference between common cold and coronavirus? The common cold, you're going to be sneezing a lot, which is not something common with coronavirus. You're going to have a stuffy nose, a sore throat, mild to moderate chest discomfort and cough, some body aches and fatigue as well if you've got the common cold right now. Again, no dry cough if you've got the common cold, and you're likely not going to have fever. Now, again, because we're in the middle or getting close to April, I mean, it's April 1st, by the way. Happy April 1st. Happy <laughs> Happy April Fool's Day to you. We're getting to the, the height of the spring season with pollen flying around everywhere. You might have issues with hay fever and other allergies in this time of year. So common common symptoms of the hay fever, runny nose, itchy eyes, mouth or skin, sneezing and a stuffy nose. You also can have shortness of breath with hay fever and fatigue and some wheezing as well. But the key thing, if you know you have hay fever issues, you're going to be having those itchy eyes, mouth, and skin more than likely. Those are not symptoms of the coronavirus. Regardless of what issue you have, you you need to seek medical attention if you're having difficulty breathing or shortness of breath. If you've got a persistent pain or pressure in the chest area, any kind of confusion or difficulties waking up. Also, if you have bluish lips or your face is bluish. Those require immediate medical attention, and we don't want to have any of you go to the hospital if you don't need to, but if you need to go, go, because we don't want to lose any of you if we don't have to. So important differences there. We hope that might make a difference here on the Y'all Show. Now, we know that the coronavirus, certainly in New York, they've been hit hard. Los Angeles getting hit hard. Other pockets of the country, but here in the South, we're getting hit hard pretty darn bad, too. And we know that Louisiana, Georgia, Florida are among the southern states that are having a very hard time. And an analyst on TV, Dr. Ashish Yah, says that he's very concerned. It says it's making me really worried about what's going on in Georgia, Florida, and Louisiana. As he was on Fox News' Bill Hemmer reports this week and said that he's really worried We're seeing cases rise quickly across all three states and other states as well. And what that means is their hospitals are days away or at most weeks away from getting into the kind of trouble we are seeing in New York. 
Now, earlier this week, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida issued stay-at-home orders for several counties in that state. And Florida, of course, has had almost 6,000 cases of coronavirus and roughly just shy of 100 deaths. Louisiana is also being hit hard. And the mayor of New Orleans, Latoya Cantrell, has been appearing on media outlets and more. She said on CNN this week, the city of New Orleans plans Mardi Gras as a year-long effort. As part of our unifying command is the federal government, DHS, as well as the FBI. No red flags were given, so absolutely we move forward. That, when she was asked about whether Mardi Gras, which was held in February, should it have been canceled this year. And she didn't get, according to what she said, any kind of word that it was going to be that big of a deal. This week, Louisiana reached more than 4,000 positive cases of coronavirus and louisiana around 200 deaths right now in that state georgia has just around 3,000 cases total and nearly 100 deaths this week and the south is bracing for a coronavirus outbreak in more numbers and more deaths something we're all watching very closely and what we all can do as well is pray and hope that it goes away and as quickly as possible and as painless as possible now speaking of the city of new orleans and what's going on in the crescent city a one celebrity is getting in the fight to help out and that would be the grammy winning musician and a person that a lot of people really like lizzo as lizzo this winner of the grammy says that they went by and they they gave a surprise gift of food to staffers at West, West Jefferson Medical Center in the New Orleans area and hope that by doing this, they're making the healthcare employees feel, quote, good as hell as they work on the front lines of the coronavirus pandemic. Now, this hospital in Marrero posted a video of Lizzo, singer of the songs Truth Hurts and Juice, stating her food donation was a way to show her appreciation for medical staffs working during this unprecedented time and she put on her social media outlets lizzo said i just want to let y'all know how much we appreciate y'all for putting yourselves on the front lines to protect us during this pandemic this time is so scary for a lot of people and y'all are a peace of mind and heroes for a lot of us myself included those the words again of lizzo who was set to perform, by the way, at Jazz Fest in New Orleans on May 2nd. Of course, that's kind of been shoved to the side, but a very good gesture by this celebrity, Lizzo, who a lot of people like with those songs on the pop R&B and rap charts with Truth Hurts and Good As Hell. And her major label debut, Cause I Love You, was a big success back in 2013. An excellent gesture there. Now, how about another celebrity in the news? This is the outgoing head of Disney, Walt Disney's Bob Iger. He's going to forego 100% of his Disney salary amid the coronavirus pandemic. A very nice gesture, as, of course, with their presence here in the South with Walt Disney World and more. Most Disney operations have had to come to a stop as a result of the outbreak and that includes of course the theme parks as well as the film and tourism and park industries that disney has and according to the la times senior executives including Iger, are going to slash their salaries to shoulder the burden during the company's response to the virus 
and Disney chief executive Bob Chapek will reportedly take a 50% salary cut. Now, Chapek was announced in February that he's going to be taking over for Iger as Iger stepping down to work on other Disney Disney endeavors. Iger's total compensation during Disney's most recent fiscal year, $47.5 million. He had a base salary of $3 million. How about... How about having a job where you have a base salary of three million, but your total compensation was forty-four and a half million dollars more in in bonuses? That's not a bad gig. I wonder if Disney's hiring. Perhaps some of us could go line up and try to get that nearly forty-eight million dollar a year gig. <laughs> Unfortunately, it looks like they've got their successor in place for Mister Iger for for quite some time keeping our headlines in florida now officials in that state have arrested a pastor of a mega church in the tampa area after detectives said he held two sunday services with hundreds of people and violated a safer at home order in which a limit was placed on how many people could join together all this in an effort to limit the spread of the coronavirus pastor rodney brown turned himself into authorities this week in hernando county florida that's where he lives he was charged with unlawful assembly and violation of a public health emergency order his bail set at 500 dollars hillsborough sheriff chad crustener said in a news conference this week that he negotiated with the attorney of the pastor to turn himself into authorities in hernando county his church is located in tampa but this this again this pastor of this church defying the orders there at the river at tampa bay church and as a result he's getting into some some problems with the government and with law enforcement over violating the rules over this coronavirus outbreak i know some of you are very concerned about people who are stretching the rules we're seeing this week a lot more parks closed people were out walking their dogs and stuff and geez when you start closing up everything i don't know where people are going to go to just get out of their bedroom for goodness sakes and i'm I'm sure that in the end pastor rodney brown's going to be okay and likely the charges against him will be dropped after this coronavirus mayhem gets past us i'm sure his excuse is you can't curtail first amendment rights to have religious gatherings and that's what he was doing there in the tampa area when he caused himself to get arrested here this week and i mentioned on monday's show i think it was that we've seen churches kind of get a little bit creative with the way they've gathered a lot of churches are having online services and i announced that in Brobridge, louisiana this week that you had a church there where people gathered in the parking lot and they had church there where you just sat in your car and the preacher had a loudspeaker i had no idea until i started watching various news programs here the last couple of days that common was pretty commonplace throughout the south so it wasn't just in Brobridge; people were getting pretty creative with a way to get together and worship the lord and in the headlines here we also want to tell you about tiger king this netflix thing that's just taken over and people are talking about it and i've yet to see it i don't intend to see it but what might be the biggest diversion from this pandemic tiger king murder mayhem and madness a netflix documentary is out right now and a sheriff in florida is asking the public for tips regarding one of the lingering mysteries raised in this recently released netflix show what happened to carol baskin's husband and if you're not up to speed here's a primal carol primal uh, primer carol baskin is the owner of big cat rescue in tampa and tiger king this documentary is about 
Joseph Passage, also known as Joe Exotic, a former Oklahoma zookeeper who loves guns, younger men, and big cats. Earlier this year, he was sentenced to 22 years in prison for his role in a murder-for-hire plot, and he was convicted of trying to hire someone to kill Baskin, who had tried to shut him down, accusing the Oklahoma Zoo of abusing animals and selling big cat cubs. And now they're in Florida. They're looking for help there. And perhaps they'll be able to come through and get it as they're trying to help solve a mystery there in Hillsborough County as this Chad Crostoner is wanting to help get help in solving his mystery and maybe this Netflix series, which again, you've all seen. I'm like, I'm sure you've seen Tiger King something pop up here in the last few days. Maybe if anything good comes out of Tiger King, it will be helping to solve a cold case there and help out Sheriff Chad Cronister in the Tampa area as they're still looking for Jack Donald Lewis, who was last seen 23 years ago and a white male, 81 years old, if he's still alive. And again, that's what they're trying to do in trying to solve a mystery in that part of the Sunshine State. We have a few more headlines to get to. We'll do that. Stay where you are. This is The Y'all Show. I am doing it all. The water, the fiber, the exercise. But I still have constipation with belly pain, straining and bloating that keep coming back. My doctor said that I may have a chronic medical condition called Irritable Bowel Syndrome with Constipation, or IBSC. Linzess, linaclotide, is a prescription medication that treats adults with IBS with constipation. Linzess helps relieve belly pain and lets you have more frequent and complete bowel movements. Individual results may vary. Do not give to children less than 6, and it should not be given to children 6 to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. Talk to your doctor and learn more at Linzess.com. That's L-I-N-Z-E-S-S.com. Or call 1-800-LINZESS. Sponsored by Allergan Pharmaceuticals and Ironwood Pharmaceuticals. We're back on y'all and John Rawl. That's my name, and we're glad that you could join us here on the show that covers everything Southern. Don't forget, coming up at the end of this hour, just a handful of minutes, to be quite honest with you, Jonathan Leifite is going to have our Atlantic Coast Conference Spotlight. We need to talk a little sports, and Jonathan's going to serve up ACC talk with some football and basketball news, all that. Plus, he's going to weigh in on the NCAA's new ruling in terms of eligibility for the athletes who we're supposed to be playing right now. What's going to happen to them in the future? We will share that information coming right up in the next segment of the Y'all Show. And don't forget, Hour 2 today, Precious Harris will have her Nashville music line. Diving right back into the headlines here of the Y'all Show. And this has nothing to do with the virus, so that's good. Marriott says that on Tuesday, approximately 5.2 million guests worldwide may have been affected by a breach of personal details. And those details may have been assessed in the second major data breach to hit the company in less than two years. And guests' names, their loyalty account information, as well as personal details could have been taken. 
and that is scary information we're talking addresses phone numbers birthdays loyalty information for link companies like airlines and room preferences marriott says it's still investigating but it doesn't believe credit card information passport numbers or driver's license information was assessed marriott this is not looking too good for you here this data breach again affecting what could be 5.2 million guests that have these cards and more with the marriott hotel it said it noticed an unexpected amount of guest information was assessed at the end of february using the login credentials of two employees at a franchise property the company said it believes the activity began mid-january and again if you've been at a marriott hotel you might want to follow up on this story and see what what that means to you and your credit card as marriott back in november 2018 less than two years ago announced a massive data breach then in which hackers assessed information on as many as 383 million guests and in that case marriott said unencrypted passport numbers for at least 5.25 million guests were assessed as well as credit card information for over 8 million guests and the affected hotel brands were operated by starwood before it was acquired by marriott in 2016 the fbi then led an investigation of that data theft investigators suspected the hackers were working on behalf of the chinese ministry of state security that country's equivalent of the cia so here we go again with china in the news potentially we're not sure that they've done this one but why would a country's own equivalent of the cia be having data theft of private companies like marriott and that's just to show you that our enemy is china more than any other country i know that the democrats often say russia 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 especially during the impeachment and the collusion thing but china's our biggest problem and if you don't believe me there's something called coronavirus that helps accentuate that fact and it's not the country it's the chinese communist party that's the problem if you're a proud chinese american you should be proud you have a historic and great heritage being from the country of china however china since after world war ii has been dominated by this chinese communist party and i guess the word would be fascist that is a fascist country and president xi is the leader of that country right now and here they are officially bothering our private companies in this case marriott and we know there's a lot of conspiracy theories going on with COVID 19 that perhaps china created this thing of course china what did they say they said it was started by american military officials uh i come are you going to believe china or the chinese again not the not necessarily the whole country but the chinese communist party you going to believe them are you going to believe our own people now if you didn't know marriott is a southern based company they're out of bethesda maryland and they're offering by the way with this data breach offering affected guests free enrollment in a personal information monitoring service for up to one year as the company said in a statement marriott also remains committed to further strengthening its protections to detect and remediate incidents such as this in the future they're doing their darndest right right now in the middle of a pandemic they're having to put up with this nonsense we wish them all the best let's keep it in the dc area for our next story to pass along and we'll wrap up our headlines today with this one this one's a happy story something we need to read about and know about 
because in this pandemic, we need all the positive stories that we can get. With social distancing going on right now, a word we didn't even know about a month ago, well, a lot of people are bored and they're lonely and they're just not having fun. And imagine if you're a kid who's supposed to have a birthday right now, that makes it very difficult. I'm not even sure you can even have a birthday cake with the the stores likely not having cakes available or it's at least hard to get if you're even able to go out to the store to get your birthday cake. Maybe your parents can whip up something real quick for you if your parents are talented with this. But in the state of Virginia, an organization called the Dulles South Coronavirus Outreach Team, which was organized on Facebook, they're volunteering to surprise the boys and girls of the area with birthday greetings drawn in colorful chalk on the driveways in these unprecedented times they're doing this as wim tapley of the group says we do it as a surprise so the kid doesn't know basically we do it in the morning or the night before a co-leader of this facebook group said with the help of the google sign-up sheet on the group's facebook page fields and coordinates requests from parents in approximately a five mile radius and they privately share their child's name and age and they go around again surprising it's like santa claus coming except what they do again in the middle of the night or early in the morning they show up in the driveways of these kids who are having birthdays and what do they do they scribble out and i've seen some pictures it's very very well done it looks like artwork in this case i'm looking at a picture that says happy birthday carson and they've got little balloons and other fun things maybe they get a little idea of what the kid is in, in enjoys and has fun with and they script that out there on the driveway and i guess that will last a few days if you're a homeowner nothing permanent but a really nice gesture again from virginia's own dulles south coronavirus outreach team there in northern virginia helping brighten these little kids as we're all doing things we never thought we would have to do never even thought of who would ever think that you'd have to stay at home and or if you don't stay at home you're having to stay home most of the time with the only exception of going out to the grocery store or to the local dollar general or maybe go through a local fast food because just about everything is shut down and rightfully so our president's telling us to stay away from these things we don't have to do Let's get this virus out of here as fast as possible. Good on you, Dulles South Coronavirus Outreach Team. And if you are listening to us today and you know little ones are going to be having a birthday in the next couple of days, weeks, heck, even months, this this thing's going to go on for a while. You might want to think about copying what they're doing there in Northern Virginia. And yeah, you don't even have to go into their house. You just scribble it out on the driveway and brighten up a youngster's day. What What a really sweet story as we close out our headlines across the southeast when we come back we've got the sweet story of acc to talk about jonathan lifeheit is going to help us share that story he's with cbs sports digital and 24 7 sports and we've got the headlines from the atlantic coast conferences football and basketball side of things and it's coming up next a social distancing tip Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. 
If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is the Y'all Show. It's our ACC Spotlight. And Hokie fans, we've got some positive news about your basketball team. We'll share that information in just a second. This is our ACC Spotlight. John Rawl now joined by Jonathan Leifheit of 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports Digital. And Jonathan, as we go through the ACC, we got to first start off with the mothership, the NCAA, as they just this week just granted an additional season of eligibility for spring sport athletes that were impacted by coronavirus. As the council voted this week and made this change, there the NCAA Division One council choosing this path. Not too much of a surprise. Anything you need to add to their decision? Yeah, there was a kind of a last minute uh, kind of panic on the part of some of the uh, athletic directors and presidents because um, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, they're only going to get about, uh, I think, something like 60 percent of the revenue they normally get from uh, from the uh, from the NCAA tournament. Um, That's probably going to impact most of them by about five or six hundred thousand dollars, which is a pretty significant chunk of change. So there was some concern about that. And then also. I believe they'll have to do some uh, very uh, some variances on the maximum number of scholarships, which will further increase the costs uh, to schools. So, um, all in all, there was a little bit of a, I guess a, uh, uh, a a gut check on that, but they did come through. I think they did the right thing, but it certainly is going to kind of wreak havoc with uh, with budgets, especially with all the lack of revenue, uh, you know, that, that's 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 happened from uh, from the tournament being canceled. So, in a nutshell, if you're a student athlete, you almost get a whole nother year to play. Is that is that what this is really all about? You do get another year to play. If you're in a, a spring sport, if you're in a winter sport, say basketball, then no, you don't. Um, but the spring sports, as an example, track and field, um, I believe golf, uh, baseball, all of these kind of fall in, in, in that kind of kind of thing. It, basketball, however, do, does not. And I believe swimming and diving was, was, is done in the wintertime. Uh, that one would not. Uh, there's a few others that I believe are, are kind of that way. But anything anything that's considered a spring sport um, is definitely uh, your, your game for another year. Okay, well, we now know that the athletes do have that extra year that will not count against them heading into next year. Jonathan, though, all these athletes, for the most part, are at their home. They're away from their colleges. They're taking online classes, but they're not participating in these sports actively. They might be doing it virtually. I'll ask you about that in a second. But we do know, like, for example, one one example out of the ACC is the University of Virginia, as reporter Norm Wood with the Daily Press recently did a story about Charles Snowden, who plays for the Cavaliers. And this story here on his website kind of breaks out what this routine is like. And so I don't know if you had a chance to read that article, but I want you to compare that article to other stories you're hearing from current athletes of the ACC, how they're 
going through their daily lives right now. Yeah, I mean, and it's a really big, wide variety because um, everybody's kind of in a different situation. And, you know, if you're in a big city and coming from the big city, it seems to, you know, there's much more kind of a, there's fewer opportunities, I should say, for training. Um, and and the, the kind of the restrictions seem to be a little higher. You know, some of the ones out in the country, they, they've got a little bit more kind of play, ways to make things kind of go. So it's really kind of, and, you know, it, it, and some of them have a home gym at their house and some of them don't have that kind of thing. So it's really going to be uh, on a case-by-case basis as to what kind of workouts they're able to get in and what they're able to do. They'll have to adapt with what they've got, but, it, you know, everybody's going to have something different. Well, that Cavalier player, of course, going on the record about what he's doing right now, his coach, Bronco Mendenhall, has something to say about the possibilities for the fall this year. College football, will it even be held? Bronco Mendenhall recently saying that he's open to a modified season if that needs to happen. UNC coach Mac Brown recently told reporters there's a fear of, would we have a season? Will we have a partial season? What does a partial season mean? There is a great concern because of the remedy that comes in with football. Brown went on to say, I just told our staff this is like a war. It's like a natural disaster. We have to treat it as such. Those are just two of the ACC coaches weighing in on the 2020 season. Kirk Herbstreet's already going out saying that he don't. he's not sure that there's going to be a season. What are you hearing with your ear to the to the grindstone of all things ACC? I don't think what I'm hearing is, is that nobody knows what's going to happen. And until this thing peaks and this thing starts to dissipate, um, we won't have a good timeline on when, when things will get back to normal, whatever, whatever normal is. Um, So at this point, you know, it could happen. You could see the season canceled. You could see it shortened. You could see it. uh, You could see it just as a normal, as a normal deal. It just kind of depends on, on how the country plays out. If they're able to keep, and do the things they need to do from a social distancing standpoint, and we're not and we're able to not overwhelm hospitals. Then absolutely, the season could go on. But if if folks continue to ignore that, and we see the spike that's going on, then we won't. We won't. I'd say there's a good shot that we won't see a season. Jonathan, in my opinion, I think we're just days away from most of your Power Five conferences announcing that they're going to go to a conference-only schedule as the first step, and then the next step after that would be to cancel the season. Before they go straight to canceling, they at least might want to remedy their conference schedule. So if that is a possibility, are you okay with teams in the ACC playing an eight-game conference slate starting in let's say october going through the end of november with your only eight games on your conference schedule i mean given the circumstances right now yeah i'm in favor of that i mean we've got a this is these are not normal times and these are not normal circumstances and if uh you know if this this stuff is secondary to what you know is really important in life and and if uh if uh if that's what they need to do then then i'm all in favor of it what that would mean, of course, mainly is all your teams would have to go ahead and let all their non-conference opponents know that we're not going to be playing you here in a couple of months, and and that would be the case for everybody. So it's not like they've got to just start giving them a bunch of checks because they had to cancel on This is an act of God. They can get out yeah. of it. But the first step is that they at least are going to try to have some kind of 
college football season of which you can have at least a conference champion what that would mean if that was to take place jonathan you wouldn't see let's say a georgia georgia tech football game are you okay with that well like i said uh these are not normal times and uh, if it was just a case of, of you know, somebody deciding, well, we don't want to play that game anymore, then I'd say, eh, I'd be having a big problem with it. But you know what? When we're in the situation we're in, uh, then I'm gonna I'm gonna be fine with that. You, you got to kind of live with uh, with what's going on. Like I said, some of this stuff is secondary, um, but uh, you, you just can't put you can't put too much importance on. With that scenario, one reason we're even considering that it'd be easy to cancel the season college football is a big business it makes in i think uh, just two years ago over six billion dollars revenue brought on by college football and that's why if you can salvage any way i mean a lot of colleges frankly you just mentioned a few moments ago how the cancellation of march madness was a huge huge financial blow to colleges around the country well, Jonathan, you take away college football from this year, and my goodness, a lot of schools are going to really suffer, and most of these that will certainly feel the sting and may not be able to bounce back up are your smaller schools, your non-Power yeah. 5, your FCS schools. Yeah, and even some of the teams in the Power 5, you know, I worry about a little bit in, in that regard. I mean, it, it's going to there's going to be some, you know, if, if we don't see the season normal, there's going to be some pretty dramatic fallout. I, I don't know what it'll be, but, but I can guarantee you there's going to be some, some big, a big shakeout of what happens. We're talking ACC sports with our friend Jonathan Lifeite, CBS Sports Digital and the 24-7 Sports Network. One more football-related thing before we get to some Virginia Tech basketball as we talk ACC with Jonathan each week here on the Y'all Show. Chip Patterson, your compatriot there, Jonathan, at CBSSports.com. He's penned an article breaking down the greatest single season from every one of the ACC's college football representatives. And I want to just kind of go through here and shout out what he's got to say. And then if you've got something to say, feel free to jump in. The Boston College Eagles, according to Mr. Patterson, their greatest single season. It's been quite a while, Jonathan. You might remember this one. I don't. 1940, when the Boston College Eagles ended up having, I think, an 11-0 campaign under Hall of Fame coach Frank Leahy. How about those Eagles? Yeah, that that, that was a good while ago, so I, <laughs> I can't say I remember that one at all. All right. Well, you don't have to go back too far for this one. 2018, the 2018 version of the Clemson Tigers, which won their third national championship that year, a program that ended up knocking off Alabama, the greatest team ever, supposedly, and Clemson goes in and dominates Alabama in the national championship game. Yeah, I, no doubt. Fifteen and zero. I mean, that's as good as it's ever been. So you got to give, you got to, got to go with that year. All right, Wallace Wade had a pretty good Duke Blue Devil team way back in nineteen forty one, and that's the team that went on to play in the Rose Bowl. How about that? Of course, that Rose Bowl got moved from the West Coast to Wallace, what would become Wallace Wade Stadium in Durham, because of the threat of a Japanese attack, and uh, the only Rose Bowl played outside of Pasadena. Yep, um, I believe that. Uh, I, I definitely agree that was probably one of their better seasons ever. Yep, 1941 for Duke. Florida State, you've got plenty of choices, but this writer, Mr. Patterson, chooses the 2013 version of FSU and that national championship team that went and defeated the 
Auburn Tigers there in what was it? Was that in Pasadena? I think it was. I don't remember for sure. I, I'm not so sure that 93 team of theirs wasn't better, even though they did get the loss. Um, they got that on the road against a pretty good Notre Dame team. But but nonetheless, uh, you know, that, that's a pretty good team. I'm not sure why he didn't factor in the 1916 team for this one, but he chooses the 1990 version of the Ramblin' Wreck of Georgia Tech as they were co-champions that year in college football. I'm sure Jonathan will say they were the only champion that year. I, I will tell you that I have a, I, I, every time I go in the edge building at Georgia Tech, I see a complete trophy, not a half of one. <laughs> For the Louisville Cardinals, he's got 2006, and that was a good season for, I guess, let's see, the final year of Bobby Petrino's first year leading the Louisville Cardinals. Remember, he came back and didn't do so good on his return to Louisville. No. Yeah, that was when he was riding high and and uh, everything. And uh, I guess before everybody discovered just just how sleazy he really is. A lot of choices to consider for the Hurricanes. He chooses the 2001 version of the Miami Hurricanes as they had, I think, 38 NFL draft picks on the roster there on that 2001 edition of the U. Yeah, that was an incredibly talented. Uh, uh, addition uh butch davis put that team together and uh then larry coker took him to the took him to the national champion yep how about the 1997 north carolina tar hills in that season with mac brown at the helm they went on to have a very good season they went 11 and 1 and i think their only loss was to florida state that year yeah as a matter of fact i think i remember watching that game uh uh uh, Florida State, uh, just that was when they were on a roll, but uh, Carolina went 11-1. I believe they finished uh, number three in the polls that year. Mm-hmm. For NC State, not the Roman Gabriel years, but this Mr. Patterson chooses 2002's Wolfpack team. I had an 11-win season. That would be Phillip Rivers under center for the pack in that era. And they threw a parade for him. Did they really? I didn't remember that. Yes, they did. You would think that uh, uh, an 11-win team – uh, that went to the Gator Bowl and they threw a parade for him. And they didn't even win the ACC championship, did they? Uh, no, they did not. Yeah, man, man. All right, 1976 for a Pitt, the, the Pitt Panthers, who won national championships in that era. And they had a guy named Tony Dorsett in the backfield. Jackie Sherrill, I believe, was their coach when they got a, well, no, he might have left by then. Johnny Majors, was he the coach when Pitt won the championship? Yeah, Johnny Majors uh, was the coach. Uh, Jackie Sherrill took off, took over uh, when Johnny Majors headed ah, to Tennessee. Ah, very, very, very astute of you. The 1959 Syracuse Orangemen is the choice for Patterson here in this article. Of course, that team featured Ernie Davis and Jim Brown in the backfield and was a dominant program there in the Northeast before they entered the ACC. The 1995 version of the Virginia Cavaliers are on this list uh was that george welsh at the helm of the cavaliers at that time yeah george welsh was the coach i'm I'm not sure i agree with this one either they did tie for the acc with florida state but they did not have a a really that great of a record i think they went eight and four overall i believe their 98 team uh actually their 1990 team um ended up finishing uh, with a comparable record, but they were probably better. And then they had a team, I think, in 98 that actually won 10 games. So uh, I'd go probably with 98 or even 90 over the 95 team. And that 1990 team was number one in the country when Bobby Ross's Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets took care of business against them there at Scott Field. And 
ruined their perfect season. The 1999 version of Virginia Tech, Michael Vick out the helm there, and I think that's the team that went on to play for the national championship game against the Florida State Seminoles, and he's got the Hokies of 99 picked as the greatest Hokie team ever. You are th- that's, I would tend to agree with that one. I mean, if you get to the national championship, that's certainly the highest level that, uh, that, uh, that Virginia Tech's ever achieved. All right. And then finally, a miracle year for Wake Forest in 2006. Coach Grobe did an amazing job leading this program to the ACC championship game and got the win 9-6 over Tech of Georgia, that would be, at that case in Jacksonville, and went on to play in the Orange Bowl, I think, and had a, a good experience there. But the 2006 Wake Forest Demon Deacons, their best season ever. Yeah, given that they were ACC champions, and I'm not sure that they had any other ACC championships in their history, um, that that has to be their best season. All right. Again, you can go read more about this article and weigh in if you'd like at CBSSports.com, written by Chip Patterson as he breaks down the greatest ACC teams for each program. And finally, Jonathan, some basketball news. A former K-State Wildcat is going to be transferring to Virginia Tech. Cartier Diara, who played for the Wildcats in Manhattan, is now committing to Virginia Tech as a graduate transfer, and he averaged 13.3 points per contest and is going to be suiting up in the maroon and orange coming up in the fall, assuming we've got college basketball. Yep. He, uh, I believe uh, one of his from Kansas State ended up at – at Virginia Tech, so that was kind of a logical place for him to end up. All right, and he's available to play immediately for the Hokies when he comes into Blacksburg. And that is a quick look at what's going on in the ACC. Jonathan Lifite, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Have a great rest of your week. All right. When we come back in hour two, we're going to start it off with hashtag hullabaloo and Precious Harris will then join us and weigh in on the untimely death of Joe Diffie as Diffie died this week from the coronavirus. She'll talk about that in other country music news direct from Music Row. That's coming up. Stay where you are. Text and whatever. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Money, 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 money. Money. The theme song of The Apprentice. Hosted by one Donald J. Trump. Taking you back a few years. Hey, we are the Y'all Show. We're back here on hour two of this Wednesday edition. And we're going to start out this hour with hashtag hullabaloo. And there's a reason why I'm here singing about money. And we'll have that reason in just a second. Let me remind you, coming up in just a few minutes, our friend right on Music Row in Nashville, Tennessee, Music City, Precious Harris is going to be filing her Nashville Music Line report. She'll have the latest on the passage of Joe Diffie. Joe Diffie, the pickup man, the honky-tonk attitude man, the third rock from the sun man, the home man, and so many other great country music hits in the 1990s. He died of the coronavirus on Sunday at the age of 61 and a bittersweet, just horrible thing to, yes, it's great that Joe Diffie's left us with these great songs, but there's no reason 
we should have lost the pickup man and so many of our other great Americans who've passed away because of the coronavirus. All great Americans, by the way, that have passed away. And Joe Diffie, to my knowledge, is the biggest celebrity who has passed away. And we'll talk about that with Precious in a handful of minutes. Plus, Grand Ole Opry veteran member Jan Howard passed away Saturday at the age of 91. The Missouri native who was a singer, songwriter, and more. And we'll talk about that with Precious as well as other things going on with the coronavirus and more in Nashville Music City. All that in our next segment. It's Nashville Music Line and it's with Precious Harris and it's coming up. If you want to ask Precious anything related to country music, questions, comments about what's going on with the coronavirus, go ahead and get your calls in or text in. We welcome that. If you got a question about a certain artist or anything here on the Y'all Show, that number, 803-816-1170, our website, y'all.com, and our new Facebook page, at Y'all Show, as well as our at y'all.com on Facebook for the Y'all website. Check it all out. It's, it's a lot of fun. Now, why are we talking about money to start this hour out? Because we have on Twitter here as part of hashtag Hullabaloo, a tweet coming from UnitedStatesPaperMoney.com, at OldPaperMoney is the Twitter account. They're out of Pennsylvania. So I would th- I'm would i just taking a guess here. These people evidently are really into paper money. And you know what? I am too. Are you really into paper money? Do you really like cash money? Something you can just hold in your hand and play with and then go out and spend it? Yeah, I think most of us like cash paper money. Yes, we do. But what they have here is a really cool website that really is devoted more to the historic cash of yesteryear and what they have here is when i first saw this i thought it was confederate money because it was really old and it really looked cool and i saw that it was from paris tennessee right on the tennessee river right there on the border between middle and west tennessee henry county is where we're talking about in the state of tennessee and what i found if upon further review of this money this is not from the confederacy this is from the central bank of tennessee and this particular image of this money is from 1855 when the central bank of tennessee based in paris put out some denominations of five dollar bills and i'm sitting here looking at it and it's a stunning artwork as most of your paper money from the 19th century is if you ever have a chance to see any of the confederate denominations it's amazing artwork and they were printed in towns that hardly even exist now towns that because of the war went away towns today that are big but at the time they had their printing press in some of these towns and it was pretty neat and and i don't know this is something if you know a lot about the history of banking in this country specifically the history of cash money i would love your input on this subject because it's it's pretty fascinating and one of the questions i have is i don't know when it kind of changed i assume the civil war had something to do with it when it changed that we didn't have these sort of local banks putting out their own denominations of money when we have one standard dollar bill for example or five dollar bill because at least in at least part of the 19th century you had denominations being printed even by not just states but specific banks in this case the central bank of tennessee is who printed this bank note in 
Harris, Tennessee in 1855. Now, this particular image I'm looking at, I see a $5 bill. They also have from this bank a rare $20 banknote issued by this bank in 1855. This bank had branches in Nashville as well as Paris and Dandridge. And I have never heard of Dandridge. Let me Google that while I'm sitting here talking about bank bank money. And you know, this is a town here that I said that some of these towns where money in the 19th century was printed may have gone away. Dandridge still exists. It's in Jefferson County, Tennessee. And it's part of the Morristown area. That's a long way from Nashville and Paris. So let, let's assume that we're we're talking about the same Dandridge, the Dandridge that here was started and founded in 1783 and named, you know where Dandridge, Tennessee gets its name from? It would be Martha Washington's maiden name, Martha Dandridge Washington, our first first lady. Had no idea about that. Yes, Dandridge, Tennessee in Jefferson County have never been to this town in East Tennessee and Dandridge, Tennessee, where the largest city is Jefferson City. Dandridge is the county seat of this county, Jefferson County, but Jefferson City is the actual largest city. And some of you might have heard of this area as it's part of the Knoxville, Morristown, Sevierville area of East Tennessee. So there's your connection to that part of Tennessee. So this bank, this central bank of Tennessee really was stretching it out from east with Dandridge to middle with Nashville to even west with Paris, Tennessee, there in the 1850s with their banknote. Now, to kind of give you a little bit more info on money and to let you know a little bit more of the history of money, a gold standard 1928 $1 bill is identified as a U.S. note rather than a Federal Reserve note and by the words will pay to the bearer on demand and those words do not appear on today's currency the clause became obsolete in 1933 but that phrase actually stuck on the dollar bills and more uh, for some 30 years afterward so that's a little bit of, of the story and again the big question i can't answer right now i don't have the data pulled up our our staff here at the y'all show because of the coronavirus they're not able to convene and research denominations of money like i'd like them to but if they are able to collect various denominations of money, they're welcome to send it my way and let me go splurge on them or on myself as well. Now, one thing I found while researching some of the money is what is called discontinued and canceled denominations of money. So I'm going to walk through some bizarre choices for money through the years that seem almost ridiculous that we even have this but it might make a good story for us here to to learn about as we've had money since the early 1790s in this country we've had a somewhat of a standardization of our financial system at one time from almost gosh almost 70 years it looked like we had what was called a half cent a half cent and that was in in circulation from 1793 to 1857 the half cent see we now know what caused the civil war if they hadn't got rid of the half cent we would all been able to keep on going but yeah it was discontinued in 1857 
the half cent. And some of you don't have any half cents about you. <laughs> Up next, a thing that was proposed but not circulated was a silver cent, silver center cent that was one penny. It was worth one cent, but it was a silver center cent. Now, there was something called a ring cent that was one cent, and it was only out a couple of years before the Civil War. You had a two-cent bronze piece. How about that? A two-cent bronze piece, and it was 10 years in length. It was out during the Civil War until 1873. Also, a three-cent nickel. How about that? This one lasted 24 years in our country, a nickel worth three cents. You also had a half dime, which was five cents, what we call a nickel now, but a half dime, five cents worth, was out in public and out in circulation from the years 1792 to 1873. I would love to have got one of these. I'm sure you would have too. We actually had a gold dollar in circulation from 1849 gee i wonder where it came from in 1849 maybe california with the gold rush going on there the gold dollar was out from 1849 to 1889 so 40 years of the actual gold dollar worth one dollar by the way and then something was planned but never minted a two dollar piece and of course that ended up coming back around ultimately and we still have in some places, $2 available, $2 bills with good old Thomas Jefferson on the cover of it. But yeah, that was back in some time ago. And then you had the Quarter Eagle worth $2.50 from 1792 to 1929. $2.50 was the value of a Quarter Eagle. Then you had a $3 piece from 1854 to 1889. Hey, that's going to give me, uh, let me have that $3. $3 and just give them a one one bill worth $3. Pretty neat. And then you had the Double Eagle. The Double Eagle actually was circulated. It's a $20 denomination. $20 available from 1849 to 1933. And then it made a 2009 comeback. The Double Eagle. I got to do some, let's see here. Double Eagle 2009. I don't remember seeing such a thing. But according to this, it, it came out and yeah i I see i see it it's a beautiful beautiful piece of a twenty dollar piece i wonder if you can go down to your bank and get any of these things they're not currently being circulated or at least printed by the u.s mint but the double eagle piece again if you're into money i'm sure most of you are that's a little bit of the history of it and again if you know the answer to what i'm trying to see is or find out is when did we kind of come up with the greenback if you will the the dollar that's got George Washington on it, and everybody used the same dollars. We didn't have these sort of localized banks and state banks. That's one of the neat things about at least Confederate money is a lot of the states had their own currency, and you had some beautiful artwork on them. In in a time where the country was trying to get started here, the Confederacy, and they had other things to worry about besides printing money, but they still had to print money, and they found a way to do it, and that money continues and you can find it in family collections and museums and that's that's not even taking into the fact that you had money before the civil war that was with the u.s mint i guess made in local areas so there's a lot to money more than just going out and spending it online let's move over from talking about money to talking about poetry we find a tweet from at the poetry cabin 
the Poetry Cabin, where seven Southern poets speak about place. And they've got this tweet out right now, the Poetry Cabin, talking about these seven Southern poets. And I'm going to read off their names, and you can go to southernreviewofbooks.com and learn more about these Southern poets and learn more about what they have going on and perhaps be captivated here in this quarantine time with poetry and we're just giving these names out as a tease to learn more about what they're doing there with their creativity all right of the seven poets promoted at southernreviewbooks.com jazz winder belina jericho brown adam clay felita hicks amy nascomia matalil ada lemon joe pineda and Jazzwinder Bellina, who I already said. So who was that? Seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, seven. Okay. I, I read off eight because I read Jazzwinder. What a name there. Jazzwinder Bellina's name twice. But yes, if you want to learn about some up and coming poets here from Dixie, check out at the Poetry Cabin on Twitter or go to the website southernreviewofbooks.com and get you all the poetry information you need to know let me get a sip of water and i'll keep on going here don't worry i don't think i got coronavirus just need need me a sip of h2o okay let's move on to another tweet from mirza malik at m-i-r-z-a-m-a-l-i-k and mirza writes rocky road with vanilla pit stops fitness food friends fun Singapore-born, London-based is Mirza Malik. And Mirza Malik is not from here. Mirza Malik is what we call a person that lives over in UK. As I said, London-based. And I'm not talking about London, Kentucky. But Mirza, in this time of the coronavirus, I'm not sure if they were able to get back to their native country. But they put a tweet out about Charlotte, North Carolina. And they wrote... Named after Queen Charlotte, and they have a statue of Queen Charlotte there in Charlotte, North Carolina. They got a picture for Charlotte is named after Queen Charlotte of Mecklenburg. The the city of Charlotte in North Carolina is also known as Queen City and is home to NASCAR, and it's in Mecklenburg County. So there you have it. Some information about the largest city in the state of North Carolina, the largest city in the Carolinas and one of our largest cities right here in the south and a lovely place i am a big fan of charlotte been going there since i was a kid i learned to ice skate at the mall there eastland mall in charlotte north carolina as a youngster and i don't think i've been ice skating since then (laughs) and uh unfortunately that mall has been demolished and do you know what that mall is going to end up being there the old mall in charlotte that used to be the largest shopping mall in north carolina the largest shopping mall in charlotte and the only place i think that had a ice skating rink in all of charlotte that mall's been torn down and it is now going to be the training facility for the upcoming major league soccer team for charlotte slash carolina i don't know what they're going to end up calling it but david tepper the owner of the carolina panthers football team has gotten the new mls franchise for charlotte and that's where they're going to be so kind of establishing their operations there and that would be southeast charlotte is where it is if you look on a map 
so there you have it there now what about the name charlotte who, who the heck is charlotte anyway we we said it's named after queen charlotte charlotte of mecklenburg strikes was sophia charlotte born 1744 died in 1818 and queen charlotte was the wife of king george the third oh yeah that king george the guy that our patriots went up to battle against in the revolutionary war and they were victorious against king george and charlotte was his wife she was the queen of great britain and ireland from her wedding in 1761 to old king george and until the union of two kingdoms in 1801 of which she was the queen consort of the united kingdom of great britain and ireland all that till her death in 1818 and she again was the wife of king george the third and she was from mecklenburg they didn't just make that up she was from mecklenburg which is in germany now and at that time was sort of its own little territory the way they had the little kingdoms if you will over in europe in the 1700s and 1600s and she was from this place i guess she was from a royal family of of mecklenburg and she ended up marrying as they often do the royals marrying fellow royals and except for harry marrying (laughs) that darn american and now he's had to give up his his title because of that darn american so don't marry americans if you're on the throne keep it in the family if you want to hold on to your title (laughs) that's the that's the rule of thumb luckily we don't have to worry about that kind of nonsense here in the south although i do kind of fancy myself as sort of a king i I really more of a general of the south and maybe y'all are the real kings and queens of the south we're appreciative of you here on the y'all show but yes mecklenburg if you look on a map of germany it's still in existence and it is to the east of berlin it's sort of halfway between berlin and the polish border if you look on a map where mecklenburg is it was at one time a part of east germany and that's where charlotte was from and then she married this guy named george and became the queen of england george and charlotte had 15 children total 13 of whom survived to adulthood and that would include the future british monarchs george the fourth and william the fourth their two children that ended up taking the throne of the country of united kingdom of great britain and ireland now what about king george her hubby his reign was a long one we think of queen elizabeth right now having a long reign and she's been on the throne what uh 70 years i think yes yes 70 years at least and king george well you got usurped by queen elizabeth because king george iii's reign was from 1760 to his death in 1820 so that's 60 years king george iii was on the throne of the united kingdom and during that time he had this lady named charlotte right by his side and in honor of her this place in the colony of carolina got named after her which oddly enough charlotte was a hornet's nest of patriot activity and it was a place where the british soldiers didn't want to go through because of the hornet's nest of patriot activity that's how the basketball team named named the charlotte hornets got its nickname because of it was known as a hornet's nest that area because of patriot appreciation and love 
and there you have some old history coming your way here on today's y'all show and that will conclude our look at headlines we hope you enjoyed it we're getting some royal information to you as well as all the other fun stuff like poetry and talking about dollars and cents we hope you are getting a chance to make sense of what we have to show and tell here on the y'all show and when we come back precious harris is going to be making a lot of sense with what's going on in country music and we are going to learn more about the death of joe diffie this week it's a horrible thing with his death from coronavirus precious will be on to break it all down and that is coming up next stay with us this is y'all Text and whatever. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. I could tell he'd had a tough life By the way he sat and stared And me, I'd come to push and shove So I pulled up a chair We talked of roads untraveled We talked of love untrue Of strings that come unraveled we were kings and kindred fools. 1992 was the year for that top five song from Joe Diffie, Ships That Don't Come In. And Joe Diffie lost his life this past Sunday to the coronavirus. An unfortunate, unfortunate story we're telling you about here on today's Y'all Show. I am John Rawl. We're back here on the show that covers everything Southern, and it's now time to go to Nashville. Precious Harris is standing by. Precious, she's with iKnowCountry.com, the website that has I Know Country. That's got 366 daily country music questions and answers. Go there right now and instantly download your ebook copy, iKnowCountry.com. Precious Harris is also a music career development consultant. And she emphasizes new and aspiring artists and songwriters. Go to her website for that, collegeofsongology.com, for more information. Also, her blog is nashvillemusicline.com. And each week, her Nashville Music Line report that you hear right now on the Y'all Show is featured at y'all.com. Precious, good to have you back, even though we're talking under an unfortunate time with Joe Diffie's passing at the age of 61. Yes, I know, and it's because I um uh, I've known Joe since I first came to town. He was actually I got a little sweet trivia for you, Joe. I know y'all have heard of the Dixie Chick song "Tonight the Heartaches on Me." Well, one of the co-writers is one of my very best friends in the whole world, Mary Frances. She also wrote um uh "Tonight the Heartaches on Me" and a "Whiskey if You're a Woman" for Highway 101. But I heard the original demo for tonight the heartaches on me and it was a two-step type um mix of the demo like a two-step type you could two-step because it was huge in the 90s you know Mm -hmm. and uh the demo singer was joe diffie gosh and the producer uh chancy mr chancy who produced dixie chicks at the time this is before um 
uh, Lloyd Maines, Natalie Maines' father, had become a producer. They, uh, he had produced them, and uh, but the producer, Chancy, changed it up to what we know today is tonight the heartache's on me it's a little still a two-step but they changed it up so it could be a two-step or another i think they made it to where it'd be more than just a two-step line dance could be different things you know but um we had a bad weekend for the opera you know joe was an opera member since forever and um of course the wonderful miss jan howard and her life story should be a movie it outdoes Loretta Lynn by about a hundred times some of the things that's happened to her. Mm. Um, if you do get a chance, Google the story, you know, that's out on the internet and things from her, uh, you know, from her fan page and from different various sites where she'd been interviewed and interviewed. Um, but yeah, it was uh, a really, really rough 24 hours. I think Jan died Saturday night and Joe died Sunday morning. She so did. yeah, I tuned in the grand Ole Opry Saturday night and heard Vince Gill sort of relay that information that the Opry's oldest member, Jan Howard, the Missouri native, had died at the age of 91. And she's been a very active member of the Opry for decades. And when I moved to town, I'll be honest, I'd not really heard of Jan Howard. Her hits were more of the 60s and 70s, and they were mild hits at that. She didn't have a single number one song and and didn't sell millions and millions of records but she was always available when she needed to be the thing that stood out about jan howard and part of her story is she her oldest son jimmy was killed in vietnam and so i always connected that to her and just the amount of pain that she must have had losing a son in the service like she did and so many of our great americans of course know that feeling unfortunately but back to joe diffie he did die of coronavirus at age 61 and Precious, just to kind of give us a little bit of an idea of what Joe's been doing here the last f- couple of years. Of course, his biggest hits were all in the 90s, but he's been touring a lot. And this is a guy that didn't just ho- hit, hit, hit to the uh, to the rocking chair and take it easy. He was very active. Yes, he uh, he actually had just started. He actually had a, a um, I think, Friday, uh, which was, I think, the 26th, no, the 27th, 28th, somewhere in there, whatever last Friday was. Two weeks before that, he'd been on the road with Tim, uh, with, uh, with, uh, Mark Chestnut. And they'd had a gig, I think it was March the 7th or 8th. Um, so I'm hoping that everybody is, um, okay with that. But like I said, I met him, like I said, not at a little place called Barbara's there on Printer's Alley where everybody, would go Tim McGraw, Tracy Lawrence, George Strait's band would come in and Jeff Cook and John Michael, and we'd all get together. And it was because we grew up, that was like the place to go. What is now, you know, losers and winners over there on division. But that was a place where everybody could go and not be bothered by paparazzi. And they could get up there in their jogging pants or whatever they had on and sing songs. It was just a wonderful time. And uh, I do have forgotten, but my the guy I was working with at the time, he's a hit writer named Randy Boudreaux. Who wrote uh, "Good Good Night, Sweetheart"? Who needs you, baby? Alibis, and some others, but he had a cut, I think, on Joe's first record. But "Ships That Don't Come In" was actually written by, co-written by one of my friends, Dave Gibson, mm-hmm. and you know him from the Gibson Miller Band. Yes, good, good artist, good duo back in the '90s on Epic Records, which was the same label as Joe Diffie. And again, Joe Diffie passing away 
at the age of 61. Precious, my personal story with Joe Diffie, and I'm going to re- say this again. I said it earlier on the on the show on Monday after we found out Joe Diffie died. And this is really a compliment to Joe, not me bragging here. But you and I both covered country music artists together back in the 90s when people like Joe Diffie were coming on the scene. And there was only, my name's not precious, so my, na- <laughs> my name is pretty easy to forget. You don't forget somebody when they tell you their name is precious, okay? So my, okay. Name, my name's pretty, I'm a forgettable kind of guy, okay? <laughs> Joe, yeah, he's under six foot three. <laughs> yeah, Joe Diffie is the only country music singer, star, however you want to label him, that ever saw me out in public and came up and, and, and said, hello, John. And that's a credit to him now the reason i say it's credit to him country music stars get hit up all day long by all kinds of people at least probably every star has got 100 people a day wanting a picture or an autograph or say hello yeah so for him to even remember my name was quite a gesture but for him to go out of his way to say hello and i think this was at that restaurant on franklin road that kind of a home style cooking restaurant that little jimmy dickens would go to all the time I think that's where it was, but just Athens, at maybe Athens family restaurants it, where Eddie Arnold used to hang out there all the time. Yeah, it's not there anymore. I think it's a no. car, car lot or something, but yeah, but that's where it was. And so Joe always stood out. It's like that son of a gun. What a nice guy. Cause he didn't have to do that. And again, I'm only relating that story cause it's really a credit to him and we're going to miss that. I had never had a chance to go back. Not that I've done much in 20 years since he did that, but I always, if I ever had a chance to see him again, I would was going to tell him how much that meant to me as a guy that said, you know, that country music star there actually has a brain and, and remembered and, and was a nice guy about it. But he passes away at the age of 61. Precious, what else is going on right now this week? We spent most of last week's show talking coronavirus. Anything else going on in the country music industry? Yeah, well, but there's been another country uh star uh, diagnosed today he came out um ray benson the lead singer of the sleep at the wheel from texas but um you know and he and he was doing all the precaution and it still happened to him so he's like please heed the need you know stay inside you know and of course you see all the street signs coming into nashville saying you know don't touch don't touch don't you know whatever and they got you know they're they're very serious usually it says buckle up a brace, you know, just nice things to make sure. Remember, you buckle your seatbelt, drive slow, behave yourself on the road. But it's very, very serious, the overhead signs. But, oh, I forgot. CMA Fest has been canceled till oh, 2021. Man, that's a huge economic, just absolute catastrophe for Nashville. We saw that coming, but precious, thank you for letting us know. On a good note, uh, not too far from my house, which I thought this was really weird that it's not already been done is Conway Twitty. Um, he's got his own road now in Hendersonville. Remember he had Twitty City? Yeah. Had it for years and years there, I'm but gonna, they never had a street named after him. And he was one of the most famous residents beside, when they got Johnny Cash Parkway, you know, up there, which is a, a the afterwards name of, you know, going up to Hendersonville. Uh, this. It's like a long hollow pipe, but it's up there going that way. But anyway, but I thought that was really strange that he had not had a street named after him in Hendersonville. And Precious, I'm lucky enough in roughly 1984, I saw Conway perform there at Twitty City. And Oh, really? Yeah, it was really, I guess, my first concert that I ever saw was Conway Twitty, or should I call him Harold Jenkins? 
I saw yeah. him there at Twitty City, and and he had that venue, and it was open all the time. But just because he had the venue didn't mean that Conway Twitty was going to be performing there. I just happened to be there on a night that Conway was in town and off the road, and saw him perform, and it was really cool. Of course, I wasn't quite the country music aficionado then, as I ended up becoming, but a great. And I happened to see Conway twice in my life in concert, and a great great entertainer but great on hendersonville right there in sumner county tennessee to the northeast of nashville for putting this up if you want to go to it uh, you'll have to go to conway twitty lane it's right near drake's creek park in hendersonville and you'll see conway twitty lane hope they don't allow people to come steal that sign because there's one guy right here that wouldn't mind having a one of those in my in my man cave Really, I'm surprised you don't want something that says Steve Warner Lane, but I'm, I'm not going to go there. Steve Warner, I, I love him. He's great. <laughs> but Steve, I'm not sure he's even going to have a bicycle trail named after him anytime soon. I know. Dang it. Because he, he's a... He's a Kentucky boy. Because he only sold a half million records. you got to sell at least a million to start having stuff named after you. Or die in a plane crash, which we hope nobody does. Precious, we've got more to talk to you about, and we will do that after this break. We'll come back and have more country music knowledge coming from our Maven on Music Road. But we leave you with a trivia question. It was on this day, on April Fool's Day 2008, MCA released George Strait's 25th album that included the smash hit, I Saw God Today, what was the one-word title of this platinum-certified album? Just a one-word title. We want that answer and a great song. In fact, I'll just have to play that song when we come back from the break. This is The All Show. Hang on, y'all. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Still feel 25 Most of the time I still raise a little cane With the boys Honky-tonks and pretty women Lord, I'm still right there with them Singing above the crowd And the noise Sometimes I feel Twelve years ago today, MCA Records Nashville released George Strait's 25th album, and that included that smash hit, I Saw God Today, and that was this album, what was this one-word title of this platinum-certified album, of which you're hearing the title track play there in the background, Precious Harris, you got to know the answer to this one. Of course, well, a couple of connections. One of my friends, uh, Rodney Clawson, co-wrote 
I Saw God Today. Okay. His wife co-wrote Tequila. And the album's title, Troubadour, was uh, written by uh, one, of the, uh, one of the very top female uh, acts here. And she used to have a record deal on Warner Brothers. And so it was uh, Troubadour. That's it. The one title record. Yep, and it peaked at number one on the Billboard Top Country Albums chart back in 2008. And selfishly, I still think that song, Troubadour from George Strait, was his probably last great song that he had out. It's just every time I see that video, every time I see and hear the song, I, it just reminds us how freaking cool George Strait is. And one reason I think it's so powerful is George Strait hardly ever did music videos, and there is a cool music video for that song from george Strait that came out in 2008 that's right i was i'm gonna mention i'm sorry leslie satcher was my friend okay and uh, she had a record deal uh, called love letters from home i love letters i'm sorry love letters when she had a record deal but she's an incredible songwriter and uh, she co-wrote that with monty holmes who you remember i think you've interviewed him when he was on a label called bang two records yeah i think he also and, uh, had but anyway a- but yeah those are you know, being on Music Road, you get to hear all kind of cool things that are fun to, you know, little trivia stuff, which I love. I and think that was Mon- Monty Holmes, I think, was also on Mercury Records at one point, I think. Yes, he was. Yes, yes, he was. Good memory there, boy. <laughs> hey, it's still working. Uh, it's still working somehow, some way. I wish it had worked when I was in chemistry class and math <laughs> class and English class. Hey, no, I can't do chemistry. I can't even balance my checkbook. I didn't have it easy. I didn't take country music when I was in grade school like you did. And if I'd have been in school and learned country music like I should have, I would have known on this day, April 1st, 1967, the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum opened at the foot of Music Row, 16th Avenue at Division Street, 2001, though, that the museum ended up moving closer to the Ryman Auditorium in downtown Nashville. Small town Southern Man from Alan Jackson was number one on this date, April 1st, 2008. That was AJ's 23rd number one song. And just a couple of years after that, 2019, which would have been a year ago today, MCA released Jordan Davis's The Louisiana Kids Slow Dance in a Parking Lot to Radio. And it's taken 52 weeks of country radio to climb to number four on the airplay chart. A full year of promotion by Jordan, hoping to reach number one. And I know, Precious Harris, you stay close to Jordan Davis's. What's going on with him? Is that going to end up being a number one song? Probably not. Oh, okay. I'm hoping it will. Well, how um, how has the virus affected the chart? Well, actually, it's not affected the charts. It's affected the uh, the artists from going to radio tours. Like, I have four of my music kids that have got singles coming out. None of them can do the radio tour to support the single, which really sucks. Man, a lot of changes uh, going on. Yeah, a lot of changes going on. And um, we, um, like I said, I've got one that came out two weeks ago i've got two that's postponed their singles to after june because one of them who's a georgia boy georgia pure southerner said, you know i don't want my single to be associated with oh yeah that's the song we heard during the covid when we were you know stuck in the house um so i told him i said well you know if you i agree with you i think we should wait and you know especially since that you've worked so hard for the past year on your record want to be perfect and if you got that little feeling in your stomach that you shouldn't do it then don't do it but um so we're probably going to wait to the end of june to release uh georgia home so speaking of georgia boys red akins baby watch what's the latest with he and his wife 
he had a had a little baby boy. Okay. Uh, they actually, I think he was uh, Brody was born. Uh, well, I knew she was due because I started the number one party because you know Tom. I mean, um, Thomas was dad. You know, Thomas had his baby three weeks before his daddy did, right. which is funny. Mm-hmm. And uh, but anyway, uh, but Red Akins and his wife had their baby on Saturday, the fourteenth of March, I think, and uh, and they were so excited, healthy baby boy, which was a good thing. But to be a daddy at fifty, I think Sonya. His wife, I think, is like 38, but they're the cutest couple when you meet them. They're completely in love, and I love that about just seeing him doting over her at the number one party and her little baby bump. Um, but it was so funny. He got on on stage, and he goes, uh, yeah, he's, you know, he was accepting his award, and he said, yeah, I'm going to be a new daddy in March. And he said, but my granddaughter's going to be born in February. He said, do the math, and everybody just busted out laughing, you know. <laughs> it was really cute the way he did it, but. Congratulations. You know, maybe we got another little Thomas Rick coming up there. Yeah. Congratulations to Red Akins with the new child. And his first effort at had a, having a child, Thomas Rhett, born yesterday, 30 years ago. Happy 30th wow. to Thomas Rhett, also born on the Tuesday of this week. Back in 1984, Justin Moore with a birthday. Today's birthdays include Kip Moore, Hillary Scott of Lady Annabellum, and also born on this day back in 1934. We lost him in 2015, Mr. Papa Top, Jim Ed Brown, born on this day, April 1st. Tomorrow, we've got Billy Dean celebrating his 58th birthday. And no. Oh, I can't believe he's that old. He's my age. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, that's, that's just getting started, Precious. And then, <laughs> speaking of Georgia boys, the late Billy Joe Royal down in the boondocks, and then he had a couple of hits on Atlantic Records. I don't know if you remember that, Precious. But oh, Billy, yeah. Billy Joe Royal, uh, who was born in 1942 on April 3rd, he died back in 2015. Those are some of your week's birthdays here on today's Y'all Show let me talk about Precious. Let me talk about your other neighbor, not in Hendersonville, but the other direction from where you live there north of Nashville, and that would be Goodlettsville. Garth oh, Brooks yeah. and Trisha Yearwood, they were doing an online at-home concert last week, and 5.2 million fans either watched it or tried to watch it, and it, it ended up crashing Facebook. Were you one of the guilty viewers of that? Unfortunately, I was not. I was actually working on my music column. Oh. But I did see it on, I did Google it on, you know, some of the news channels and, and his site and, you know, the G Suite or the, the on his channel on uh, Sirius XM. And I did watch bits and bobs from around the country. So, but I, I just love it. It couldn't happen to a nicer guy for him to crash Facebook. No pun intended. Mm, Well, he did that. All right. And if you missed out on that this week on Facebook, guess what? You are in luck tonight on CBS starting at 9 Eastern, 8 Central. It's Garth and Trisha Live, and that will be airing on most CBS affiliates. How about that? Oh, I know. I am watching it tonight. I may have to tape it. Yeah. Because I've got some other stuff to do for my music stuff. But, yeah, I'm going to watch Mr. Garth. And I remember meeting him in 89. Was it 89 or 90? And he was playing at the Bluebird. Hmm. Well, I'm and, sure uh, he remembers again. Him. When you got a name like Precious, you don't forget that. <laughs> Garth and Tricia told CBS that they, together along with the network, will donate a million dollars to COVID-19 relief efforts. So yes. excited about that. Now, Precious, I stayed up. If I sound a little sleepy, 
Earlier this week, I stayed up till about three in the morning watching my local PBS station as I saw Garth get honored by the Library of Con- Congress. Yes, I saw that. I love that. He won the Gershwin honor there from the Library of Congress. And it was fantastic. Encourage everybody to try to find it somehow, some way. Chris Stapleton was there, Lee Bryce, and other great people like Jay Leno was there to honor Garth Brooks. I do have to ask the question, most everybody who tuned in and watched this thing, Precious, I need some gossip coming from you. Garth's got three daughters. And if you saw it, there was always an empty chair between the daughters. What's going on there? If you know. If I know, well, the empty chair between the daughters may not mean anything. It could be someone who was supposed to be there that was had that seat and didn't get to did not get to be there. Well, if you watch the special, the daughters all keep changing places because at one maybe one song, one sitting by Garth and he's hugged up on them and loving on them, and then they'll switch places. So it was very obvious. That's one reason I'm bringing this up because I kept showing them, and you got Garth daughter daughter chair daughter, and then. Now, the song plays, and then there's another Garth daughter, another daughter chair. It, it was just really strange. So I don't know if this is public, but something at least appears to be a little bit different with the Brooks family when it comes to the daughters. When you got three daughters, good Lord. Lord help me. Well, Garth. you didn't want all the camera on one of them. And I'm sure because, you know, his daughter, actually, the oldest one who was named after his mother, Colleen, Allie Colleen, she was going with Allie Brooks. But, you know, people... And I had said I was not one of them, thank God, that compared her to her daddy, because I believe every songwriter has their separate soul, just like the Bible talks about. Mm-hmm. And Allie is definitely a gifted songwriter. I'm just going to tell you right now, if she's Garth or if she was a Garth's daughter, she's a gifted songwriter okay. and a gifted artist. Tattooed up the gig game, and she is very much uh, – she's happily married. And but she does shows around town. She's done at least three shows with my little cousins. Okay. And uh, but she, you know, and of course she's very much in the spotlight more than the other two are. They're like laid back. So I think to even out the spotlight, it may have been the reason why. Because if you just see one daughter on the TV, I mean, I'll just put myself in in Allie's place. If that was my pet daddy, Papaw Sheldon, and I'm like, what? How come she got all the TV time? I would be right up in there going, how come she got all the TV time? So I'm pretty sure that they spaced it out as a a courtesy. Well, if you see it, I think you'll probably come up with the same conclusion that I have. It just, it looks really, really, really weird. Another kind of weird thing that I'd never heard of before, but I guess it's a a sweet thing. Garth and Tricia actually gave rings to the three daughters when they got engaged. There was an, uh, or, or married, there was an exchange of rings between all all of the women and i'd never heard of that before but i guess when you're garth brooks you've got a few extra dollars to get into the jewelry store and pull something like that off precious as we wrap up with you we want to mention that for the first time in 34 years kenny rogers was on the number one spot on billboard's top country album charts following his march 20th death the best of kenny rogers through the years went straight to the top and a tremendous honor for the late singer and he passed away, as we said just the other day. But his album is number one on Billboard's Top Country Albums chart because of the great singing and the great legacy Kenny Rogers, the gambler, leaves behind. Precious, thank you very much. We look forward to catching up with you again next week. All right, dear. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye, right. everybody. Precious Harris, our music row maven. Well, that wraps up today's Y'all Show. Make sure you stick around for Thursday's Y'all Show. We're going to have plenty of good stuff coming from y'all.com. 
Plus, a exciting guest is going to be joining us straight from the panhandle of Florida, Sean Dietrich. He's a writer. He is a columnist, a podcaster, a barbecue judge, and he's got this thing going on called Sean of the South. And Sean of the South is going to be our guest in hour two. And he'll talk about his upcoming book, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? That's going to be in our second hour, plus SEC Sports Talk and more. All right here on Y'all. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm your host, Smokey Cole Bear. Filling in for Smokey, because after 75 years of... Only you can prevent wildfires. Turns out there's much more to say. Nearly 90% of wildfires are caused by us humans being careless, dumping our used barbecue coals willy-nilly. Guess the song was wrong. We did start the fire. That's why I respect Mother Nature and her trees, whether coniferous or new car scented. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council.